adult version two, which I'm calling it, <laughs> version two of lockdown, um, just being kind to myself and slowing down, even when I'm talking or moving or eating, just taking the time. It is a reset again. It is time to become grounded and just appreciate those little things again. Welcome back to another episode of The C Word. We're your hosts, Helen King. And Belinda Tran-Lawrence. And welcome, welcome back during this very strange time. We do need to just mention before we start, if I'm sounding a bit frazzled, it's because it is Wednesday night, although um, people will be listening on a Sunday or downloading um, at their leisure. But it is uh, Wednesday the 12th, and um, for us in Auckland, We've been in level three lockdown since midday, and um, I'm not sure about other people, but I'm feeling a little bit frazzled about the situation. Um, so if you, if we sound like we're talking like we're in the past, that would be why. And we also know that in a couple of days, things could have rapidly changed. So we, we will try and sort of keep things um, gener- generally kind of, broad as we're talking but just a, a heads up that we are in Wednesday night yeah and and as everybody who is listening to this can cast their minds back to the um, you know the update on Tuesday night which was quite late I can't remember what time last night but I was just on Facebook and saw someone had just posted and said turn on the TV now so I did yeah um, and the, the tone and everything, um, which is fantastic. You know, I'm not criticising the government's response in the slightest. I think it's awesome that they're moving really fast. But just the tone of those updates, it's really easy for your anxiety levels to ratchet up really quickly. And I wasn't in Auckland. I was in Christchurch, knowing that I was travelling back to Taranaki the next day and thinking about flights and getting home and getting my mum home. And, yeah, I think all of those feelings from earlier on in the year started to come to here. Absolutely. And I was saying to, uh, I was saying to Belinda before we, we started um, recording this evening that I haven't done myself any favours today because I just fell back into... You know, if I sort of, I guess, lightheartedly, if I think about today, I haven't showered, ate a bag of chips, and I spent most of my day um, obsessively updating on Twitter and social media and the news. And, um, you know, that's not good for anyone's state of mind. No, this doesn't sound like a healthy choice that you made today, really. I really wasn't. Vegetables to your house. Yeah. Well, the good thing is, is that we did our shopping yesterday, and I um I ordered eighteen an eighteen pack of toilet paper. So maybe um past Helen knew something was going to happen, but we thought it could be could be psychic. (laughs) But it is a strange time, and I you know I think that as a lot of us know that um. You know, if you're going through cancer treatment at the moment or you have had, you know, you've had a big event like cancer happen in the past or, you know, anything really that's caused 
a major change or an element of trauma, I think when these things happen, we're, we're quite vulnerable. We're, we're more vulnerable to those, um, you know, quite severe emotional changes. So what we really wanted to do is just have a chat about that and bring someone in who has, some, has lived experience with dealing with things like anxiety on a day-to-day basis, but has achieved an element of wellness that could, you know, it could help others because, you know, we we feel that it's pretty important to, you know, to help each other get through these times. And I think lived experience has quite a powerful um, impact in times like this. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I mean, I'd agree with the point of view that layers of vulnerabilities in this time make things really hard like everybody's feeling a bit anxious but anyone who's got something extra going on whether it's a child with special needs whether you're currently undergoing chemotherapy you've just had a cancer diagnosis I mean Helen and I are obviously connected into quite a few cancer networks and while I didn't make her unhealthy choices today I did not spend it attached to social media um, I definitely did last night after after the Prime Minister's address. I spent some time reaching out in my networks and expressing solidarity with people who I know have been recently diagnosed and are scared already. Um, you know, cancer is scary, and this just makes it more scary because the unknown has just become so much more unknown. Absolutely, and we should really we should really bring our bring our guests in. And I'm um, attempting to, oh no, I have done it. Excuse me, here we go. So, don't mind me, just trying being um, inept with technology. But we we have with us this evening um, Sam Adams. Sam is part of an amazing program through Changing Minds, who are a mental wellbeing um, charity who do some amazing work um, throughout the country. And Sam is part of an initiative, uh, Rakao Raroa, which translates to tall trees. And the whole premise behind this program is the idea that people with lived experience with mental distress are often some of the most amazing advocates and teachers for other people to learn how to, to, I guess, have the resilience or the tools to to get through difficulties or, or similar experiences. So I met Sam through the um, Tall Trees program, and um, I think you've got a pretty amazing story, Sam. So welcome welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure, and it's lovely to uh, meet you guys and be on here and be able to share a little bit about myself and, yeah, hopefully inspire others. So thank you. Well, oh, thank you so you. much for coming along at what we know is a difficult time. When Helen messaged me today and said, oh, this amazing lady's coming along, I'm like, are you sure, are you sure she's got the capacity for this at <laughs> the moment? I know. And we, we do appreciate that, Sam, because Sam is a um, mother of not only a toddler, but it must be a, still in the newborn category. Yes, I had my second son... Um, Oh, a little under seven weeks ago. So <laughs> I'm I'm kind of a, a full steam ahead kind of girl. And <laughs> when the iron's hot, you strike. So <laughs> let's just yeah. go with it. <laughs> well, thank you. 
So Sam is also a fellow Westie like me. So if you're from if you're from Auckland, you'll know that a Westie, um, people that dwell in West Auckland, um, sometimes people sort of characterise us as being bogans, but I don't think I actually owned black jeans until I moved out of West Auckland. Um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought you all wore black jeans and band T-shirts and had spiky hair and drink beer, basically. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely a diverse community in West Auckland and there is that kind of stigma, but um, I wear flowers in my hair, so there we go. <laughs> yeah. Although I am wearing a band T-shirt this season, so there you go. <laughs> I guess let's start at kind of the beginning of, I guess, where, I don't know what the right words are, and where things started to kind of unravel. Because Sam also has a connection with us in terms of the cancer community. Um, Sam's father passed away when she was a teenager. And I, you were, we were talking before, Sam, and that was throat cancer. Yes, yes. So my father was diagnosed um, at a young age when I was 13. And, yeah, he um, was diagnosed with throat cancer and it was a three-year journey um, until he did pass. And it was, as you can imagine, as a 13-year-old up until 16-year-old going through puberty and emotions and um, also having younger siblings. It was traumatic, I guess the word is. And um, there was a lot of uncertainty, which is how I can relate to what's going on today with uncertainty and being vulnerable and not not really knowing um, which way was up. Um, Yeah, so it did progress um, into his lungs and then um, actually went to his his brain. So, um, yeah, it was was a very hard time in my life. And um, I guess that's where my story kind of starts with then being diagnosed with depression and being put on medication. And, um, yeah, at such a young age, it was... Something that I'm still grieving for today, uh, but I'm in a much better space um, with it now. Yeah. So, Sam, yes, um, sorry, sometimes Helen and I manage to talk at the same time. It's the joys of Zoom. And Sam, how old were you, if you don't mind me asking, when you were diagnosed? Um, I was 16 when I was diagnosed with depression. That's um, that's so young. It's uh, it's interesting, but it's very similar to what I experienced too, where um, for me those, those symptoms started coming on as a teenager. And I can imagine that... Um, it's really is such an isolating experience. So I can I can just see how that that experience of feeling different and feeling kind of you know that you're having this experience that I know for me at the time I thought no one else was because it just you know in the in the mid nineties people did not talk about those things. But on top of that, to um, you know to to have lost your father. I mean, those are two huge things for a a teenage girl to be carrying. Yeah, I can't tell you it was pretty back then. Um, (laughs) I definitely was ashamed. Um, I didn't really understand what depression was. It's not like it was talked about back then at all. Um, I was going to school and, you know, before that I was kind of like an A-grade student and I was had all the friends and I had a really good family life and um, 
I had never really experienced any any trauma or um, I had a very privileged upbringing. So for me to then at the age of the 16, yeah, get diagnosed with depression and um, lose my father, I lost, I lost who I was. Mm-hmm. And it took me, oh, a decade to find that who I was again. Um, mm-hmm. But I definitely hit it. I hit it a lot. Um, I think that's the main reason I, I got so sick. Um, is because I never spoke about what was going on. I was ashamed. I didn't know. I was fearful. I didn't know what vulnerability was. I just thought I was different and, um, yeah, didn't feel like I had much to give at that point. Do you think that some of what you experienced, and and what happened for you at that age, was some of it around people not knowing how to talk to you or how to support someone who had lost a father at that age. Part of the reason I ask is I lost my father when I was 16 and the circumstances were, I'm sure, different. Everybody's circumstances are different. But I do recall nobody talked, you know, you just didn't talk about it because people didn't know what to say. Yes. Um, that defines it exactly. Uh, I didn't even invite any of my close friends to his funeral because I didn't know what was etiquette. I'd never been to a funeral before. Um, yeah, pe- people at school, they were confused. They didn't know how to approach me. Um, they weren't sure whether to say sorry or are you okay or it, it just wasn't really talked about. I had a couple of really amazing teachers that um, helped me through and were able to give me extra support and uh, channel my emotions in different ways. But um, it was particularly hard for my family as well, um, not knowing what to do and uh, not knowing the right the right things to say. And then, of course, I didn't know what I wanted either. So, yeah, it was challenging. Yeah. It's, I was thinking as, as both of you have been talking, um, I guess a lot of teenagers, were, we're not really equipped to deal with those sort of really complex situations or those complex emotional needs. And then... I imagine, you know, within your family, everyone's dealing with with their own grief and their own sort of response to, you know, your father's death, you know, your mum's lost a, a husband and, you know, other children have lost a father. And um, sorry, my, my brain's going all over the place, but I, I keep thinking it's, it's kind of that experience that I've um, other people have talked about where... I don't feel like any of us really know how to cope with people's grief or their loss. And so um, it's that sort of idea of holding space with someone and not feeling like you have to, you know, fix it or anything. But um, so few of us know how to do that for each other. So I think, um, I know for me, I've related to a lot about what you've said where I just didn't tell anyone what was going on. Um, and even after having cancer and things, you're not really telling people the reality of what life was now like after this thing had happened. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's in hindsight now. I, I share a lot now because I know that being honest is um, is the way, the truth for me to to stay well and be well. Um, but yeah, especially as a teenager. Uh, I guess the way I coped was um, doing the wrong things and getting in with the wrong people and 
using substances to kind of find that that happy place again and that led to a long road of <laughs> destruction um yeah. but looking back yeah it was just just no idea and even grief um we had no idea how to grieve i've never done mm-hmm. it before except for a cat or you know um and I think there's a lot to learn these days about, as you said, holding space. That's so important. And mm. people not saying this is what you should do and trying to fix it, but rather just offering an ear to listen mm. and take the time and have a corridor all and just, just be there. Like that's what I needed, but I didn't even know that's what I needed. So how could I have expected anyone else to know that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's a it's a learning process, isn't it? You learn how to support someone. You learn how to be there for someone. Um, and I think part of the reason that we don't necessarily tell other people how we're feeling, or this is definitely part of my reason sometimes, is because all your energy is going into dealing with your own feelings and keeping going you don't have any energy left for dealing with how someone else may respond to that yeah 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 (laughs) you know i could just say yep to that (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh so because it's really you know i I've met Sam before at, um, we had a hui last year in it, um, through Changing Maestro, our, our Rako Raroa um, initiative. And I, I'd kind of heard little bits about your story, but the more you talk, the more I go, were we living <laughs> parallel lives? Because oh, that's, really? how I learned, I, that's how I learned how to, or that's what I gravitated towards as a teenager to deal with my emotions is that I I drank alcohol because I I wasn't equipped to deal with what was going on. And so you know, if, you know, you're reaching out for those feel goods makes sense. Yeah, isn't it interesting, you know, they say listen for the similarities, not the differences and our stories are obviously different but similar and um I, I I think around the world, and especially in New Zealand, there is a, a binge drinking culture here. Mm. And um, it's not ideal, but as you said, it's just hard and we don't know what to do, so we turn to an easy fix. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, my children may listen to this podcast one day. <laughs> so I was a perfect teenager. I didn't do anything wrong ever. I definitely did not drink too much. No. Yeah, um, My love I is think, completely intact. <laughs> That's awesome. I think that um, I think that you know everyone has a different story, and all of our stories are valid. And I think the most important thing is that there are people out there that have lived a life similar to yours, um, with differences, but. Yeah, just picking up on those things that you can relate to and kind of see how they've got so far into a recovery life. Um, I think, yeah, there's so many different ways that you can relate to people and um, just by hearing one story may not be enough, but like the three of us, we have different stories. Um, So, 
hopefully there's a little bit that someone can grasp onto, yeah. Mm. Did you want to tell us, Sam, what happened from there for you? How long have you got? (laughs) Um, A little while. (laughs) I guess the from 16 to 20 was a bit of a blur. Um, You know, I did graduate high school just... um, I was living a bit of a double life, kind of good student at school and then working of an evening in hospitality, which led me to the drinking. And um, then... I was in a long-term relationship uh, with a guy and at the age of 20 we we broke up and for me that was um, grief all over again, Mm. Um, losing a male figure in my life and losing someone that was important to me and I relied on. Not losing in the sense that he had gone but um, that we no longer had that connection Um, and it sent me into a bit of a spiral and I was... um, ended up as an outpatient in a mental health uh, hospital. So I wasn't, um, I wasn't uh, like, sleeping there or anything. I wasn't, um, I don't know what the word is these days, but I wasn't put into a hospital, but I was seeing a psychologist and counsellors and support people. And um, they came up with, a, with all sorts of kind of labels and diagnoses, and I was put on quite hefty medication. Um, and the next kind of five, five years, I just lived a life where it was just, um, up and down, just really inconsistent. And I have, I've achieved a lot. I I ended up going to uni and I traveled overseas, but there were definitely days and and months and periods where it was just, um, anxiety driven and in my bed and full of depression and despair and guilt and, um, shame and it wasn't until I was 27 when um so we're going 11 years after the start of it all that I I was suicidal and I just um not a religious person but I prayed at night that I wouldn't be there the next morning and um I was like this has to change I I I can't be doing this and my family obviously were very supportive and wanted to see out so I I went and got help in a private facility and there I learned about, um, basically I learned about connection and I learned about telling your story and um, seeking the truth and being honest and uh, in, in a, a fast but short way learning to accept um, everything that had gone on, a radical acceptance. So accepting my past and my mind, my body and my soul and um I also got sober, which was incredible. So I've been sober for six years. And in the last, um, yeah, six years, I've just tried to maintain a recovery lifestyle where I am honest and, um, you know, I, I practice mindfulness and meditation, but it's more than that. It's more about being true to who I am and living my story every day by inspiring others and, um, talking my truth and just working on myself all the time. Like I believe that I will never be complete. There's always room for improvement and there's always room um, to be humble and have the humility to learn from other people and um, learn from other people's stories and actions and um, just really 
co-create and, and help others. Um, giving back is huge to me. And, yeah, so in a nutshell, just kind of going from depressed, anxious to now, you know, where life wasn't worth living to now really loving every moment and being grateful and, look, I've achieved, I've got a family, I've got a house, I've got two kids. But more than that, I mean, these things are just um, life goals. More than that, I have peace within my mind and I'm just happy and I feel like I have the power within myself to kind of just be content. And that doesn't mean there's not the the bad days and the hard days and the days where I just want to crawl under the cover and duvet dive. I mean, I have those. I have challenges. I have, I have two boys or three boys. If you count my husband, it's um, <laughs> a lot. It really is a lot to to deal with. But I'm the type of person that just wants to get on now. I just want to seize life and keep going and keep creating. And yeah, so there you go. That's kind of my story of the last. Um, I don't know how long. <laughs> That's really cool. I. I relate to a lot of it, and I, um, yeah, it's interesting. We were, my partner Ross and I were talking last night, and um, and we're kind of because you know, I mean, it's such a crazy time, and I have to say, you know, today I haven't dealt with things very well. This evening, I took our dog for a walk, and he's quite a full-on wee boy, and he um, lunged away, and I just, I just. I had a hissy fit in the uh, reserve in my home and I kind of know that that's, for me, it says, you know, things aren't okay. And I I like what you said there where I know that I've learned a lot of, of tools and tricks and, and things to look after myself and I think about how I responded to having cancer and, um, you know, I've, my, I've got addiction in my history as well and... Um, you know, it, it is a very easy um, thing to sort of reach to when you're in emotional crisis or in a lot of emotional pain. But I feel like all the things that I learned from um, what had happened before I got cancer got me through um, that kind of emotional resilience that I had um, that I had built up. Because if I got cancer um, like 10 years before or as a, tw- you know, in my 20s, it would have been a much, much different story about how I coped or reacted to it. Yeah, there's something to Just say about timing. That was another one of our awkward Zoom moments. <laughs> No, Sam, I just wanted to pick up on kind of a thread that I heard you talking about earlier. And I think, if you don't mind me reading it, there was a couple of lines from what you said that were reported in a Herald article. You were talking about labels. You were talking about Mm. how, you know, you've been diagnosed with depression and anxiety previously. You had a different diagnosis um and you were discussing that when you said what does it matter i'm just being me i'm content with the fact i have highs and i have lows and when i have highs some really magical things happen and i was just thinking i'm hearing those same threads 
coming out of what you're talking and thinking about the conversations I have within the community with people with high anxiety to do with cancer. And it's not always about saying, I've got this, I can power through, it doesn't matter, I'm fine. It's actually, as Nikki said to us a few weeks back, it's feeling all the feels. Yeah, it's, it's, this is how I'm feeling today, and this is valid, and this is fine, um, and I'm not going to excuse it. And it sounds like for you, a lot of your wellness and your recovery is very much tied up in that. Yes, definitely. Um, it's, it's interesting hearing things that I've said said back to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, when people ask me how I am, I say, I'm good today because every day is a, is a new chance to improve on, on yesterday. And, um, yeah, feeling the feels, that's what I say a lot. Um, I, I feel it's really important to be honest with how you're feeling and, you know, not to every every guy at the gas station or the dairy, but, you know, those people that you do have around you that really can love and support you or you're close to, then, yeah, it's, you know, like, for example, today, Helen, I can relate. I was on social media all day. I couldn't get off. I was addicted. I was distracted. It was, it was awful. And it wasn't until I, at 7 o'clock, I sat down and I made it, um, a priority to do a meditation with my teacher and for 20 minutes I sat there it's a awareness-based meditation and I was like what is really important to you today and yeah. that's what I was thinking and I was like I am anxious I am hyper sensitive right now there's a mm-hmm. lot going on I need to calm and realize and my teacher said we are okay in this moment and that is um that gives me goosebumps just saying that because in every in every single given moment you are okay. It's just everything that's going around inside your body and outside your body that is the problem and your nervous system <laughs> system. So um, yeah. yeah, thank you for picking up on that. Um, feeling the feels is is definitely yeah. a big and thing in my recovery. And what you just said, said there about every moment you are okay that. Um, so that kind of became my motto when I was going through cancer treatment and that I'm not usually one for giving advice to, you know, to other people who are come along, coming along. They're doing their own journey. They're doing it their own way. But when people actually ask, you know, when people say, I'm super anxious and I'm finding this really hard. Um, and I did this with someone last night and I said to them, because I... Um, have had issues with anxiety before I had cancer and you know, this is not going to go away. It's it's an ongoing journey. You learn how to deal with it. And the one thing more than anything else that I took from mine is that you only have to do this moment. You only ever have to do this moment. And in this moment you almost always can do it. And like, I'm not glossing over people who actually feel in this moment they can't, you know, but those people are a minority and for the majority of us, no matter how hard this moment may be, you Mm. do almost always have the strength right then for what is happening in that exact second. 
And that's all you ever have to do. And it's like, I just realized that one day. Well, my husband could have told me. He'll probably say he told me. <laughs> and and it was like, it was like this light bulb went off. And it was like, actually, that's all I ever have to do. And if you can do that moment, well, then you're also going to be able to do the next one when it arrives. And I think yeah. whether it's COVID, whether it's cancer or whatever is going on for anyone who's listening to us when this does air, please do think that you can do this moment and try not to worry about the next one because it's not going to make any difference. You can spend all no. your time worrying and you don't really know what's going to happen anyway. It's, that's a really good point and actually it's good for me to hear it because one of the things that I've, um, I guess one of the things that I've learned to do, because I've never been very good at identifying how I feel. I said, that's not my, that's not really my forte. Um, but for me, because, you know, I was diagnosed with ADHD just over a month ago. So I'm almost having to relearn myself. So all these things that I, I sort of thought were one thing are now completely different. But um, I know that today I've been in total fight or flight. And the first round when we did lockdown the first time, I just wanted to go out and make sure we had everything. Like I wasn't panic buying at the supermarket. This is really embarrassing. But I went to about five dairies. <laughs> and it's this sort of, and I did it before chemo started as well, where you just go into this weird state where I have to have all these things because if I have these things, I'll be okay. And I didn't do it with um, shopping this time. I did it with, um, I started making masks. And I think for me, that's my first little sign when I get really focused on having to do something and it feeling really jittery, and my nervous system feels like it's taken a beating, that actually that's time to sort of maybe just sit down and, um, you know, have a cup of tea. But that, you know, for me, that's taken a long time to get to the point where I can sit down and go, oh, what is actually going on in here? Am I scared? Am I um, anxious? Am I, you know, hungry? Am I tired? All of those things. And I think for me at the moment, I'm really scared. And it's, it's because, you know, my brain goes into the future. So it's good to be reminded that actually right now we're okay. Yeah. And that's all, that's all we ever know and that's all we can ever do. I mean, mm. right now we're okay. You, you, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And, and that's okay too. We don't mm. have to know what's going to happen tomorrow. And yeah. And having that confidence and that faith in ourselves that whatever happens tomorrow, we are actually going to be able to handle it. I had a psychologist yeah. say to me, oh, this was like years ago now, nothing to do with yeah. cancer. Um, my, I, what I have discovered is that my anxiety is definitely linked to the feeling that I might not be able to handle what's going to come whether it's yes. in five minutes next week, tomorrow, next year, that I might I might fail at that hurdle. Mm. And, and that's what I find that I get. I don't know if that's what other people get anxious about, but that's, that's my anxious point. Mm. And he said to me, 
Why are you anxious about that? You never failed at any of the points. Your whole life, evidence, he knows I'm a bit of an academic, evidence (laughs) shows you that you have always managed it. Yeah. So why do you not believe that you're going to manage it next time? (laughs) I admin a Facebook group for people in New Zealand who are and have experienced breast cancer and I have unilaterally decided that our motto for the book, for the group is if today is a hard day, we would like to gently remind you that your success rate for surviving hard days is 100%. You have a perfect record of surviving. You have never not survived a hard day. You rock star, you've got this. That's awesome. I That's love my that. Yeah, I think that's a really good one to remember. And I think we've all touched on that, um, that idea that keeping it in the moment. And I, and I think this is, I feel like there will be a lot of people out there who are freaking out and uh, maybe they may be experiencing things like they might feel jittery, their sleep might be impacted, um, they might sort of, find that they're breathing from up in their um, chest instead of in the belly. And those are all really normal human reactions to a threat. Because I I think, and I think the double whammy for, for people who have either already been through a trauma, whether that's, you know, for us having a cancer, um, is that that's heightened. And knowing that about yourself, I think, for me anyway, it's it enables me to have a bit of compassion about what's going on. Because I, I do, I, I sort of feel, I beat myself up for not handling things right or not responding well. But, you know. You all do is, that, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have um, learnt that I have very high expectations for myself. And I think yeah. that comes from um, my interpretation of what my parents wanted for me. Maybe, maybe because they, you know, pushed for the high grades and the, the, the music classes and the sports classes. And the way I interpreted it was that if I don't do these things, I'm not good enough. Probably totally being a mum now, I can be like, that's not not what they were trying to do, but that's how I felt at the time. And I think, um, yeah, you know, lockdown version one a few months ago, I was like, okay, I must do this, I must do this. My, my son must have this all set up for him. Um, you know, I was pregnant, eight, seven, eight months pregnant. Like, it was silly, and um, I can I can reflect on that now, but it it is having those expectations of yourself and then feeling like you've failed because you haven't reached them. Um, it's, yeah, so now version two, which I'm calling it, <laughs> version two of lockdown, <laughs> Um, just being kind to myself and slowing down, even when I'm talking or moving or eating, just taking the time. It is a reset again. It is time to become grounded and just mm. appreciating those little things again because, you know, straight after lock, we went into level one. No one was waving to you on the street anymore. No one was slowing down for you. It was just back to full-blown Auckland life. So I think this is another time to reflect and reset and look for those silver linings. Yeah. And I I saw something that the Mental Health Foundation posted, and I thought it was um, 
it's they did it during lockdown as well. They sort of posted these tips, and I've I've posted them on the Facebook page as well. Wellbeing tips for level three, and um, the first one probably is is for me was produced for me because it says <laughs> limit the news. Mm. And I, so I'll, I'll go through some of these because I think it's good sometimes to, to get the practical side as well. And I think I'm kind of saying this for myself as well. And I think for me, I used to be a journalist, so I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm always going to be drawn to the news. But uh, I think limiting it, only um, getting it from reliable news sources, because I have noticed that there are some wacky conspiracy theories sort of creeping in um, which is going to heighten these things. So limiting your news, sticking to the facts um, another tip that they've given is to give sometimes just, um, you know creating a care package for someone checking in, in on your neighbours and just those small acts outside of yourself can be really helpful um, we've actually already said this one so I feel like we're, we're gurus now <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, do you think we've got listeners sitting there with a pen and writing yeah. down, oh, oh, rules for how I should live? Because <laughs> sometimes take notice, and we, you know, and that is a really good one, bringing it back into the present. Because anxiety is a, yeah, you're right, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's that fear of the future or the fear of losing control, I think, for some people it is. Yeah. And so Sam's mentioned it, practicing mindfulness, um, and that can be, you know, I can't meditate. I just, my ADHD brain is not good with the whole meditation thing. So sometimes for me, all it is is going outside and noticing we have a beautiful river out the back and just going, oh, okay, yeah, there is another world out there. It says keep learning. Um, that could be a new hobby. Learn, or learn about, you know, something that you don't know, mastering a trippy re, um, recipe. Be active. I know um, for myself this is a very important one. Um, I know Belinda does yoga and you've mentioned um, with meditation and things. I think all of those things are actually really good for regulating the central nervous system. Um, I take the dog for a walk, which sometimes isn't the most uh relaxing thing because he's a, a little terrier um, and connect and I think this is one of the biggest ones because it, you know it's funny because um, Ross said to me before how are you going to cope with this lockdown because I think I must have looked crazed at this point in the day because um, I noticed in, in your story um, Sam from the Mental Health Foundation um, when you talked about you know, coping and lockdown, that you really missed those interactions. And I really struggle with that too. Yeah, I'm a very, um, I, people call me a social butterfly. I'm out every day. <laughs> um, and just being around people, I, I kind of get the energy from them and I get my um, my vibe from them. And, mm. you know, like it's it's, it's really daunting to think now that I've got two more and perhaps even more days of being isolated from my friends and family. You know, I've got my beautiful bubble here and we'll do our best with the four of us. Um, but for me, there's there's more of a, a fun hour with the community and even just going into the shop and having a, a chat with the, 
the dairy owner, you yeah. know, like that, those make my day, those little interactions and conversations and, and feelings and hugs. Oh my gosh, the hugs I'm going to miss. Um, yeah. So it's really about learning to do it otherwise, I guess, you know, through, through Absolutely. the computer or the phone call or, and also just like giving myself time to rest. I'm pretty full on all the time. So maybe actually I need a bit of a, a break and a bit of a, a sleep and <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I do think this whole COVID thing is a reset. You know, we sort of did for our planet um, the first time and yeah. let's just take it as a, as a second option to a second um, opportunity to, to sort our lives out <laughs> in a nutshell. Now, for our listeners, I, w- I had a wee giggle before because uh, w- Belinda's not a hugger, and when Sam said, I miss hugs, she no. made the most hilarious face. <laughs> and you're not posting a picture of my face on the Facebook page either. No, I'm not a hugger. And like listening to you guys, and I can see that obviously if you get your energy in a social way, that is hard. I don't. So lockdown for me in that sense is not hard. Um, yeah. it, like I love, I work from home anyway. Um, I really enjoy being home, just being in my little bubble. I have absolutely no problem keeping other people at least two metres away from me. I think it's <laughs> great. I have quite a large personal space anyway. Like, I like people, don't get me wrong, I do. Uh, but I like people in probably small, meaningful doses. I'm definitely not a party animal. Um, but <laughs> dialing, I just wanted to dial back to something we were talking about earlier. I was thinking about it while Helen had her last, and the last one was Connect. And yeah. Okay, now I'm outing myself as a hermit who doesn't really like to connect. But I do think it's really, really important that we all have people that we can be real with. I mean, we're not going to tell everybody how we feel. You know, some people are more comfortable telling more people how they feel. But it's important that everybody has at least one person. And the research says that we must have friends to be healthy people. But interestingly, the research says that it can be one friend. It's not you're not healthier with lots of friends than you are with one friend. Of mm-hmm. course, it's a little bit hard if you're expecting your husband to be everything to you and you're laying everything on him. My husband is in the room while I'm saying this. I can't see him, but he's probably not enthusiastic because <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible at that. But. But, yeah, having people that you can be completely real, that you can say, my anxiety is through the roof, I'm having a really, really shitty day, and people who aren't going to fix it, people who are just going to be there and listen and hold space for that. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I think there might have been one more tip um, from the Mental Health Foundation I can't remember what it was, but they are particularly good. So go on the Mental Health Foundation because it, it is that, um, oh, it's have a routine, which is not my forte either. 
but it is I think it is important having a routine during lockdown but um they're all really good pieces of advice I think because I think we could be in this for the long haul I think life has changed a lot yeah and so having these tools and having um you know, these conversations about resilience or um, authenticity or how do you cope when you feel overwhelmed and frightened and the world seems crazy. Um, yeah, I think these are, these are the conversations that are going to help us get through um, with, our, um, with our mental wellness sort of intact. Yeah, yeah I 100%. Mean, <laughs> we are definitely not health professionals or authority figures of any kind at all, which we should really, really say. Yeah. But I think there is the feeling in New Zealand that there is a good chance we're going to be rolling in and out of these lockdowns for some time. And it's yeah. really important that we're doing more than just thinking, I can get through the next three days. Yeah. Uh, that we're actually thinking how... How can I embed this in my life? How can I have a way of living that I'm able to sustain this off and on? How can I prepare myself for this? Absolutely, yeah. So just before, I guess just before we wrap up, um, one tip that we can leave our listeners with. Sam, what would your one tip be from last lockdown that you think really helped get you through? Oh, one tip. I think um, slowing down and just, yeah, really changing your mindset to nothing has to be achieved in this time. As long as you as an individual can get through being your most authentic self and supporting those around you and being, 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 for me, like, I need to be a stable mum for my kids. And um, mm. that, that is an expectation, but it's also reality. Yeah. Um, and just realising that you're enough, you really are enough in your own shell, your own self, in your own story, and just do whatever you feel is right. Um, don't push yourself. Just okay. be calm and carry on, as they say. Yeah. Belinda, what would yours be? Oh, I need a word of wisdom. I need to be You do. I think I really like the image of lockdown being a Rahui. Uh, This kind of just fits with me and I guess my way of looking at the world. Um, And this is going away a little bit from what we've been talking about, but rather than seeing it as... I know it's so terrible because we're shutting down the economy or whatever. Actually, it's a pause. It's a chance to think about how we might do things differently. And I'm a big thinker, so I like to think how we could do things differently in the economy and in our capitalist society and all of that. But just on a personal level, on an individual level, on a family level, lots of people are saying, oh, you know, last time, in the last lockdown how much they really enjoyed spending time with their family. So what changes could you maybe make to your life? Like most New Zealanders are really lucky to be able to have options. And and I do think it's important that we really acknowledge that there are people who 
their lockdown, their rahui experience is a lot more difficult than others. They're essential workers, they need to keep working, or they're staying at home, which means they don't have an income. But for a lot of us, we can make small changes, we can make larger changes, we can step back and think, how do we want our lives to be? In our everyday mm. lives, is it the way we want it? And if not, what could we maybe be doing about that? Yeah. Mine's short and sweet. Stay off social media. 100%. Now, I agree with that. At least you're using it for support and connections. Exactly, exactly. And I think um, that that's the thing, is that it, social media is a wonderful thing, but it has its downfalls. And I think I think limit the, the, the noise, you know, limit the noise. And if you want to get updates, maybe update yourself once a day on the news and have your connections. Um, we're going to be doing our weekly show, so, you know, get in touch with us. We would love to hear from people if they, you know, want to reach out for support. You know, our um, messages are always open because, you know, it's a tough time and we do need to band together as a community. So, And give us your words of wisdom. We want to hear your words of wisdom. Yeah, your words of wisdom, because that's, you know, you might help someone getting through a really tough time. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And Sam, thank you so much for joining us um, today, this evening, Wednesday, which will be Sunday when this is. But it's been awesome hearing your story and um, just learning, you know, how you've dealt with, you know, the whole COVID situation. Yeah, thank you so much, Sam. It was lovely that I was pretty stunned at the last minute like this. You... um you were prepared to come and talk to us with everything you've already got going on in your little bubble. And and you've got a seven-week-old baby, you know, just, just putting that out there. That's not a small thing. No, that's amazing. It's huge. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. I have a, an amazing, supportive husband who is 50-50 parenting. So um, mm. he's great, and he's got little Baba now. So... Um, but thank you. It's been a really humbling experience talking with you ladies. Thank you. Thank you. That is all we have time for this week. We will be back next. You can listen to us on planetaudio.org.nz forward slash the C word. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, we'd love some more subscribers there. Find us on um, Instagram and Facebook. And we'll see you next time.